Grace and peace to you, and welcome to a sermon podcast from Richfield United Methodist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Sign up for weekly digital content at richfieldumc.org. Subscribe, share, and get out there with Jesus to heal a broken world. Thanks for listening, and we hope you have a good experience. This podcast is the sermon on February 16, 2020. The role of passionate worship is part seven of the eight-part worship series, A Fresh Start. The preacher is Reverend Nate Melcher, and the scripture is Acts chapter 17, verses 16 through 28, and Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. While Paul waited for his friends Silas and Timothy in Athens, he was deeply distressed to find that the city was flooded with idols. He began to interact with the Jew and Gentile God worshipers in the synagogue. He also addressed whoever happened to be in the marketplace each day. Certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers engaged him in discussion too. Some said, what an amateur, what is he trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods. They said this because he was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. They took him into custody and brought him to the council on Mars Hill. What is this new teaching, they said? Can we learn what you are talking about? You've told us some strange things, and we want to know what they mean. They said this because all Athenians, as well as the foreigners who lived in Athens, used to spend their time doing nothing but talking about or listening to the newest thing. Paul stood up in the middle of the council on Mars Hills and said, People of Athens, I see that you are very religious in every way. As I was walking through town and carefully observing your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. What you worship as unknown, I now proclaim to you. God, who made the world and everything in it, is Lord of heaven and earth. God doesn't live in temples made with human hands, nor is God served by human hands as though God needed something, since God is the one who gives life, breath, and everything else. From one person, God created every human nation to live on the whole earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their lands. God made the nations so they would seek God, perhaps even reach out to God and find God. In fact, God isn't far away from any of us. In God we live, move, and exist. As some of your own poets said, we are God's offspring. And hear this from the Gospel of Luke. While Jesus and his disciples were traveling, Jesus entered a village where a woman named Martha welcomed him as a guest. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his message. By contrast, Martha was preoccupied with getting everything ready for their meal. So Martha came to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to prepare the table all by myself? Tell her to help me. The Lord answered, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. One thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the better part. It won't be taken away from her. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. It's not too early to start looking at vacation time for the rest of the year. 
So that's something we've been doing recently, trying to find out when can we take a break. And we're looking at uh, taking one of our favorite weekends up to Northern Pines Camp in Park Rapids. It's one of the United Methodist Camps in Minnesota. It's where we do life camp these days. And trying to find a good weekend where we can relax and refuel. So I'm thinking maybe Friday for a travel day, and then a Saturday, Sunday to just be present days, and then Monday for a travel day, and then I think Tuesday for just an extra day. You know, maybe a, a, you ever do that, a vacation after the vacation? You need to recover after that vacation. You, there's so much rushing around and preparing and checklisting that it's hard to get to actually relax before you know it, it's time to go home. So maybe an extra day can be helpful. In the Gospels, Jesus has this pattern of behavior where he has these major ministry moments, and then he goes on vacation. He goes up a mountain to pray, or he says, let's take out the boat, and then he falls asleep in the boat because he's so wiped out. Each time, he needs to refuel. The rest is respite from out there, yet also charges him up to get back out there. He knows he has to do this because the crowds, well, they're always going to find him. The problems of the world, they're still there. And those in need of justice, compassion, and mercy, well, rest up, Jesus, and get back to it. Respite and refuel. I think about this delicate balance when it comes to worship as a time and place of both respite and refueling. Once a week, millions of people come together to have respite from the world for one morning and end up refueled to get back out there and face the world filled with the love of Christ. It's a time to both dial down the flame a little while also simultaneously turning the flame up. If it was all just too mellow, we might just want to relax here and just spend an extra day. If it was all too exciting, we might need an extra day to recover from it. But it's both, because Monday comes and we get right back out there. The problems of the world, well, they're still here. And a need for justice, compassion, and mercy, rest up to get back to it. This respite refuel, this is worship. An early vocabulary change that I made in seminary was letting go of church and embracing worship. Have you ever called what we do here church? Like, hey, I'm going to church. I'll see you at church. Do you want to go out for breakfast or for brunch after church? Right? We, sometimes we call that church. Colloquially, it's pretty easy to do. However, uh, Going to church is different than going to worship. Jesus calls us to be the church, yes? Well, what about this building? Is this the church? I believe there's a song that says the church is not a building. The church is what? The people. We are the church who go and participate in worship. And worship isn't just a noun. It's not a certain time and place, but a verb. It's an act, an act we do as followers of Jesus. When it comes to acts of worship in Athens, Paul has got his work cut out for him. He sees a city teeming with lackadaisical days filled with idle patter and fascination with ideas. A bit of talk, but not much walk. 
and a whole lot of idols. Artifacts to stimulate the people to pray, except they're praying to the artifact. Instead of representing a god, the idol becomes the god, being worshipped and coveted and even valued more than that which it is to represent. Now, we don't do that anymore in modern society, thank goodness. We know how to prioritize what to worship instead of idols, right? I mean, sure, we're in love with celebrities and work and politics and work and technology and work and sports and work and gossip and work and money and work and buying things and work and the British royal family and work. And did I mention the chilling obsession our society has with the race to work as much and as often as possible? Maybe we all need a vacation. But look, I mean, we don't have idols. That's a once upon a time in ancient Athens thing, right? We know how to focus. Paul points out the idols throughout the city, and he says he has good news. He has something better. They say his teaching is strange. It's strange teachings. Let's take him to the house of worship. That's where the strange teaching belongs. He says, you have an altar, and it's to an unknown God. But the God I tell you about, that God is the one who gives life, breath, and everything else. God isn't far away from any of us. And here's the latest good news of the whole big picture, the resurrection of Jesus. Paul speaks of what Willie James Jennings calls a rhetoric of desire. Idols collect self-deception, but the Spirit fills you with a desire to receive God's invitation to fulfill your life, to be fueled for life in one's heart. When we return to worship God, we both rest and refuel our hearts. If you open the bulletin, we added a little something new this week. You'll see in the order of worship three words in bigger and bolder font than the others. You'll see entrance, proclamation, response, and sending forth. This is what's known as the basic pattern of worship. And it's used throughout many different uh, faith traditions and it kind of goes like this. The entrance into worship, that's a time of song and of prayer to get us into this as a gathered body. And then there's proclamation, where we both hear the word and the word proclaim, so the sermon. And then there's a time of response. That might be prayer. It could be a time of communion, so the meal. It can be offering and giving back our gifts as an act of worship. And then we have the sending forth which is some song and a benediction, which is fancy church word for get on out there and love the world because the world needs God's love. It's a pattern based essentially on the beats of the Luke 24 story, the road to Emmaus, but also takes some inspiration from Acts of the Apostles, especially that Pentecost in Acts 2 and so on. Each piece plays a role in respite and refuel, and each builds on each other and offers an invitation to be present with God. The bulletin is an order of worship. It is not an agenda to accomplish. This is not a checklist. If you need your dopamine hit from checklists, go grocery shopping after worship. You can check it all off right there. 
if we think of it as a checklist to get through, then how can we ever be present? It's like, it's like when you take your kids to see Santa Claus. I see this happen all the time where uh, the parents are taking their kids to Santa, and so the kid's on Santa's knee, and then the parent has got their phone out so they can just take as many photos as possible. They're not actually even present to witness what's going on because they're witnessing it through their screen, right? But here's the thing. That's not a new technology deal. That's been going on a long time. It's just that it's faster and quieter. Because it wasn't that long ago that many of you were looking through a smaller viewfinder in an old camera with a big old click and then that whining rank, 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 rank. It's only quieter and faster. But we've done that before where we view life without being present. Look at Mary and Martha. These two sisters who... Both love Jesus, yet only one is present to him. Mary sits at his feet, taking it all in, everything he has to say, while Martha scurries about to do this and that. She's distracted. And as she's so distracted, it's no longer hospitality. She's gone beyond keeping house for Jesus. She's keeping house in spite of Jesus. When she wants Jesus to make Mary be as obsessed as she is with being busy too, Jesus says, no. Preparing for me isn't the thing. I'm the thing. There's this old saying about the finger and the moon. The finger points at the moon, but the finger is not the moon. In worship, we all have our favorite elements. Hymns and prayers, silent prayer, scripture, sermons, anthems, giving an offering as an act of faith. Each is an important finger that points to the moon of Jesus. But none are Jesus. Rather, they point to Jesus in ways that move us that lift our spirits, that guide our paths, give respite from the world and refueling us for the world, filling us with the passion for God. Bishop Robert Schneezy writes of it this way, if we approach worship with a mindset of expectancy, as opposed to one searching for every human weakness, worshipers discover that God wants a relationship with them and seeks to say something through the time together. People are not at worship to observe and evaluate, but to receive what God offers and offer their best response. So in each element of worship, each moment, we get to say, what is God saying to me right now? What is God saying to me through these lyrics? What is God saying to me through this prayer? What is God saying to me through this melody of the hymn? Even if it's not perfect, even if it's not my favorite, what's God saying? Worship is different than idols or entertainment. What are the parts of worship that aren't for us? Is there any part of worship that's just not for you, doesn't trip your trigger? Okay. Confession time. Silent prayer, that's not for me. It's just not for me. I'm a pretty boisterous person. It takes a lot for me to quiet down. But we have silent prayer in worship because it's important. 
because it's important to at least some people in this space, right? And that's okay. Dr. James Forbes is the senior pastor emeritus of an interdenominational megachurch. If you can imagine an interdenominational megachurch up in Manhattan. He was their first black senior pastor, and he served there for 18 years. I got to meet him last summer, and I got to tell you, that guy at 85, he can still preach it. There were a thousand pastors from all different varieties of life and faith traditions, and we were up on our feet for this guy. But uh, he talks about how to embrace diversity as Christ's body, including in worship. And he has what he calls the 75% philosophy. He says this, A truly diverse congregation where anybody enjoys more than 75% of what's going on is not thoroughly integrated. So that if you're going to be an integrated church, you have to be prepared to think, hey, this is great. I enjoyed at least 75% of it. Because 25% should grant for somebody's precious liturgical expression that is probably odious to you. Otherwise, it's not integrating. So integrating churches are characterized by the need to be content with less than total satisfaction with everything. You have to factor in a willingness to absorb some things that are not dear to you, but may be precious by some of those who are coming in. Put it a little shorter, if we connect with about 75% and about 25% we don't, we get to go, that's not for me, but that's my gift to my neighbor in the worship space with me. It's why we have both silence and lively music, prayer of confession and prayer of petition, a time with children and a time to share the peace with all around us. Each moment lights the passionate fire within someone God has gathered together for worship. Now, if you heard all of that and your thought is, oh my gosh, what's he going to do? we got to preserve our preferences. I don't think you heard me correctly. We don't worship our preferences. We worship our all-inclusive, loving God. Amen? Amen. If you heard it and you thought, I can give a gift to my neighbor to help them connect with God, that sounds like you want to grow a diverse church that reflects Christ's diverse body. I don't know everything that you brought with you today. You know, I've had a chance to talk with many of you about what's going on in your lives, or your prayer concerns, and your joys, of course, but I don't know everything that you bring with you today to this time and space of communal gathering. I don't know all your health concerns. I don't know how complex your family is, how hard it is living with debt, anxiety about the future of the nation or the world. But wherever you're coming from, know that you are loved and that I hope that at least a few pieces of this time and place of worshiping God connect for you, get you rest and refueled for Christ, and I'm honored to gather with you. Today, worship, our goal is to end at 9.55 a.m. That's our goal. Now, I didn't say we're ending early, because it's not school. 
Also, if I was to say we're going to end early, then the question becomes, are we on our time or God's time, friends? But the goal is to try to end at 9.55 so that essentially you'll have around five additional minutes of worship this week that is all your own to take into the world. How will you use them? A prayer? Will you find one of these hymns that we've sung here and find it on YouTube and sing along? Listen to a sermon podcast? We spend extra time with our breakthrough prayer. Will you light a conflux candle in your home? Will you call a friend to pray with them? Will you simply have some time of silent prayer? I won't be doing that one, but you might do that one. So your call to action this week is to take your five minutes of worship in the world and let me know how it goes. I want to hear your story. Will you pray with me now? Holy One, we are blessed to be safely gathered together this morning. Thank you for elements of worship that bring passion for your holiness to our lives. Thank you for a time later this week when we will encounter you. May we be in conflicts with Christ. May our life's journey cross paths with your holy heart. May it be so, and amen. This has been a sermon podcast from Richfield United Methodist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Copyright 2020. Now go into God's world knowing you are a beloved child and bear witness to the love of God so that those to whom love is a stranger will find in you a generous friend. Thanks for listening.